0: I'm Kate Daniels, and I want to introduce Christian Davenport, a staff writer at The Washington Post who covers the space and defense industries for the Financial Desk. So he's had the opportunity to be somewhat up close and personal with the recent history of space activities. Christian is also an author, and therefore, it's natural that his newest book is The Space Barons, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and the Quest to Colonize the Cosmos. It's wonderful to therefore have Christian Davenport join us this morning to share some insights as well as an invitation. Christian Davenport, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: I am quite enthralled with your new book and and actually you know just all the history of yourself and of this writing and uh, you know we'll certainly be spending a, a good portion of our time this morning uh, discussing your new book uh, about space exploration about the space barons and uh, that's also fascinating but you know as I was thinking about this and looking at this I wondered in terms of your writing Christian it's kind of, what came first? Were you really interested in space and, and exploration? Or did your writing for the Washington Post and your focus there begin to expand that and, and get you drawn into it?
1: Uh, that's a great question. It's it's really my uh, writing at the Washington Post that, that drew me into it. Um, I was born in 1973, so it was uh, post the Apollo era, and uh, really, my only, you know, strong memory of space and the space program was when the uh, space shuttle Challenger uh, blew up in 1986. So I didn't have that inspirational moment that so many uh, people did who grew up in the, in the Apollo era. In fact, um, you know, space in, in my childhood, in my development years, was sort of you know, seen, frankly, as not very interesting, as as routine, Um, you know, which is sort of crazy when you think about it. I mean, the space shuttle program is extraordinary. And the International Space Station, you know, uh, which has been permanently and continuously inhabited uh, for nearly 20 years, is is a marvel. But it's not something that really captured my attention or, frankly, the attention of the American public. I think it's, um, for whatever reason, uh, overlooked. I mean, Americans have sort of a interesting relationship with space, and so as I was working as a reporter for the Washington Post and got assigned uh, in 2014 to cover a press conference where some guy named Elon Musk was uh, had an announcement he wanted to make at the National Press Club. I went down to cover it, and here was this, you know, brash billionaire. I knew him from Tesla. I didn't know much at the time about SpaceX, and. Uh, he was announcing that he um, was going to be suing uh, the federal government, I mean, the Air Force, which I thought was bizarre because he was suing them for the right to be their customer. And uh, that sort of set me off on, you know, this long journey to learn more about SpaceX and this new commercial space race. Um, and the more that I wrote about it, the more I realized that this was a really interesting time in space and that um, it wasn't really being covered in the way that I, I thought it um, should be. And then soon, there was a series of events. I mean, it was like one after another is almost on a weekly basis of really important things that I felt like I needed to to document for the Washington Post. And I just sort of became enthralled by it and just really bitten by the space bug and thought this was just such an incredible story. Um, You know, at a time too, when in in Washington, Washington, D.C., we're so focused on, you know, politics and the goings on at the White House and all of the sort of daily uh, controversies. But here's a story that's just, you know, inherently interesting. You know, in some ways it's just um, optimistic. It's about adventure. You know, there are a lot of money uh, is at stake. And so I just thought this is what I want to cover and write about because it's such an interesting topic uh, with such interesting people leading the way. And so that's sort of how I got into it.
0: That in itself is really fascinating. Thank you for sharing uh, that inside story with us, Christian. And, you know, not... um Not surprisingly, I mean, there's a parallel going on here, this real-life exploration and adventure and how there is still such a fascination on the uh, fictional side and and people, you know, of all ages really are fascinated by this. So bringing uh, the space barons to us and really opening that up as to what is happening and, you know, here in the Northwest, I guess, we're really quite... um, uh fortunate i guess in the sense that we have some of the a couple of the icons really situated right here not that they're not ex- doing their work elsewhere but uh we certainly have a focus in this area not the least of which too is our wonderful uh museum of flight and gives me an opportunity to mention you're going to be here at the museum of flight on Wednesday April 25th
1: right That's right yeah i'm going to be there to talk about um uh, my book, The Space Barons, with uh, Alan Boyle of GeekWire, uh, another fellow space journalist um, uh, who's you know had an extraordinary career. So I'm really looking forward to being out uh, in Seattle. I've been to the Museum of Flight. It's really an extraordinary place. Um, you know, I thought we had a great, you know, museum here in uh, Washington, D.C. with the Air and Space Museum. It's the Museum of Flight is just a wonderful, wonderful spot.
0: Well, that uh, is great for us to hear, considering maybe many of us have not been uh, to D.C. and and been to the Smithsonian. So to have you say that ours is uh, of such a caliber is wonderful, and of course, I've loved visiting there myself. So this is an event that is open to the public uh, because it is a book event, so everyone is welcome to come come along and uh, hear you uh, give even broader stories, potentially. And there'll be a Q&A so they can even ask their own questions about what's going on, right?
1: That's right. I mean, I look forward to it. Please come far away, ask me anything you want, and then uh, hopefully there'll be some um, time to sign books and to really see some of the exhibits there. It's quite extraordinary. Um, I was there uh, last year uh, when Jeff Bezos, one of the characters... in in the book um, was unveiling uh, one of the uh, F1 engines from the Saturn V rocket that uh, took uh, the Apollo astronauts to the moon. And uh, this is a chapter in the book where Jeff had hired this team in 2013 to go find these engines, which had been discarded into the Atlantic Ocean after they took off uh, from the Florida space coast. And, um, Jeff, you know, hired some of the most incredible uh, underwater deep sea explorers in the world. And they were f- first be able to find these engines, uh, really sort of a needle in a haystack recovery on the bottom of the ocean floor, and uh, then go down using these uh, rovers, uh, these robots that could go down all the way underwater uh, to recover these engines and uh, and they were being put on display there at the Seattle Museum of Flight. So it's really an extraordinary place.
0: Yes, covers so much of this territory of what's gone on with flight and space travel and exploration. So it, it, for us, it's right here in our backyard. And so you've shared with us a couple of anecdotes that uh, about these space barons, these incredible characters that are non-fictional right here, human beings. Uh, a couple of the others. Richard Branson, what's a, an anecdote that you might share about him?
1: Well, he's, uh, he, he's just such an interesting guy. He's had this amazing career where he started one company after the other, you know, really starting with, Virgin Records, and um, uh, you know, signing the Sex Pistols, and uh, and causing quite a stir in the in the UK. Um, people forget. I mean, he was quite the character and got a lot of headlines, you know, particularly in the nineteen eighties, for going on these incredible uh, adventures and these stunts, all in the name of uh, uh, of promoting Virgin, uh, you know, his his global brand. And one, for example, he um, you know took a balloon ride leaving, uh, crossing the Atlantic and, uh, you know, going from the United States into the UK and, uh, encountering some trouble. And he was with, uh, sort of a guide and a pilot who was flying the balloon, although Richard had done some training on it and, uh, the winds were really picking up and they were having a hard time landing. And his guy, his pilot just leapt from the balloon and left Richard alone in it. And, um, he ended up sort of having a, a, a crash landing into the ocean himself. And as if that wasn't enough, he tried again, this time to cross the Pacific, and um, leave, leaving from Asia, and they had intended uh, to land in Southern California, but instead caught the jet stream and ended up on a frozen lake in Canada. Um, so there are all of these backstories that sort of inform his sense of adventure. And for all of the things he's done, I think for him, what really captures his imagination, and this is true with all of the space barons, all of the characters in the book, that I think that space is one of their real passions. They've got a lot of other interests, a lot of other companies, um, but that space is really what holds their attention and and, and represents perhaps the biggest challenge. Uh, It's the hardest uh, problem to solve. And um, so for, for Richard, you know, wanting to get to space... And uh, open that frontier up for people and what he wants to do is uh, take paying space tourists up you know to the threshold of space not to go into orbit around the earth but to go up uh, you know 50 to uh, 100 kilometers above the surface of the earth where you're in what's called spaceship 2 which is a space plane it's uh, tethered to uh, a big mothership an airplane The mothership airplane goes to about 35,000, 40,000 feet. It would then drop. And Spaceship Two, the rocket, would fire its engines, you know, cruise up to space. You would uh, have a few minutes of weightlessness in the cabin. You'd be able, if you were one of these passengers, to unbuckle your seatbelt, float around the cabin, uh, do your somersaults in in, uh, zero gravity, look out the windows at the curvature of the Earth, and then buckle up and come back down. They haven't had those first flights yet It's been delayed and delayed and delayed. And in fact, there was a fatal crash in 2014 that killed one of the co-pilots. And it's been much more difficult and time-consuming than I think Richard Branson had expected. But they're getting closer to those first flights. And they have something like 700 people who have signed up to do these flights, which now cost $250,000 a ticket. Um, So, you know, that, that tourism market is something that I think if he's able to do it, and reliably and safely and efficiently, um, really, um, you know, could represent for him his, his greatest achievement.
0: Just amazing and fascinating. And so, as you were researching all that, and I, I think that's been obviously in the news too. Uh, is that something that appeals to you, Christian, to do? That would you want to be, uh, you know, one of those people going up and floating in that plane in space? Yes.
1: So when I met with uh, Richard, and I did the same thing when I met with Jeff Bezos, I had gone to the NASA archives. And people kind of forget this, but uh, NASA not only had, uh, during the shuttle program, a teacher in space program. And we remember uh, Chris McAuliffe, the teacher who was killed in the Challenger explosion. But they were going to follow the teacher in space program with a journalist in space program. And so before I met with Richard and and Jeff, I had gone to the NASA archives and uh, found a copy of the uh, application that NASA had put out in the 1980s for the Journalist in Space Program. And uh, as I sat down with them, slid it across the table to Richard and Jeff and said, uh, told them that I'd like to go because Jeff's uh, company, Blue Origin, is also uh, planning on doing a space tourism program where they do suborbital flights. Uh, where you would get a few minutes of weightlessness uh, aboard their New Shepard rocket and capsule. So uh, I told them that I'd I'd like to do it. I think that if they want to make space accessible to the masses, if they really want to open it up to people and sort of democratize space, then they need to have journalists up there writing about the experience. Uh, I don't think I want to go on the first few flights. I'd like them to... (laughs) (laughs) kind of have test pilots go and work out the kinks but once they've shown they can do it safely and reliably then um then yeah i think i'd like to to do that um you know as to deeper space travel i think i'll leave that to other folks but a quick you know up and down john i think that would be really neat
0: wow yeah i'm I'm not ready for that personally but uh, i can see the fascination of it and and it You're right. A journalist is someone who can really tell the story because that's what you've done for us as well in this new book of yours, The Space Barons. Uh, And we should mention, of course, readily available now, but certainly if you wait until uh, April the 25th, you can get your own personally signed copy at the Museum of Flight, right?
1: That's right. No, I'm really looking forward to it. That'll be on the book tour. That's one of the The real highlights for me. I really enjoy coming to Seattle. Uh, I was there uh, a few times to visit uh, Blue Origin and to talk to Jeff Bezos for the book. And once before, uh, you know, for the newspaper, my day job at the Washington Post was also out there uh, to interview uh, Paul Allen um, and to talk about his space vision as well. So it'll be really good to be back in Seattle.
0: And so let's chat a little bit about Pat, Paul Allen. His, his uh, approach is a little bit different, or, or is it really?
1: Well, it's, uh, it is different. Uh, I mean, it's similar in the sense that he wants to air launch his rockets. That is, uh, take a rocket, tether it to the belly of a plane. The plane then gets to a cruising altitude, the rockets drop, and then they shoot off into space, you know, as opposed to the rocket you know, standing vertically on a launch pad, and then just blasting off uh, in the way that we're sometimes accustomed to seeing. But what Paul Allen's doing that's different is he's building what would be the world's largest airplane. It's called Stratolaunch. It's being built in a uh, hangar right now in uh, Mojave, California. And it would uh, not only be able to hold uh, one rocket on its belly, but as many as, as three. And what he's really interested in is launching uh, satellites, and particularly small satellites, and, you know, he's obviously, uh, you know, a brilliant uh, tech entrepreneur, co-founder of Microsoft with Bill Gates and really sees the potential of these small satellites um, to do all sorts of things. I mean, you know, we tend to think of satellites as these big, massive, exquisite, expensive, you know, almost the size of a garbage truck out in space. Um, but but the, the the technology has advanced so that just as, you know, com- computing power has gone from big mainframes down to, you know, the computer that you carry around in your, in your pocket with your iPhone. Satellite technology has gotten much smaller, and many of these satellites are as small as a shoebox. And the idea is now, and instead of having, you know, large satellites in space and having just a few of them, you could put dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands, into orbit around the Earth to do all sorts of things, like beaming the Internet. To all corners of uh, the planet. I mean, remote, you know, desert area and jungle and ships at sea and, um, and better Wi-Fi on uh, airplanes. Uh, you could do sensing of the earth. I mean, monitoring the health of the planet, uh, crops, waves, soil erosion, snowfall, uh, traffic, parking, all these sorts of things, uh, you know, that you can monitor in real time from space and have really good imagery. And his thought is uh, that once that infrastructure is put into space, that'll open up all sorts of opportunities and all sorts of economies, just as we saw with the internet. You know, we didn't know what the real possibility was of the internet. And I think these entrepreneurs, and it's not just Paul Allen, I, you know, Elon and and Jeff share this philosophy as well, and really think that You know, space can open up all sorts of worlds and economies and industries, you know, that we can't really even conceive of. But the big problem that they need to solve is they need to be able to get to space much more quickly, much more affordably, much more reliably than we do now. I mean, now space is so hard. We do it, you know, know, infrequently. SpaceX last year broke, um, you know, records by launching 18 times a year. And they hope to do it even more. But still, it's only 18 times a year. And I think what these entrepreneurs want to be able to do is launch on a much quicker uh, and frequent basis, reduce the cost dramatically and make uh, access to space that much more affordable so that then you can have all of these, uh, you know, dynamic opportunities in space.
0: So, Christian, if they were to collaborate, would that make this move more quickly, or is this rivalry a, a better method?
1: You know, that's a great question because, you know, collaboration always helps. Uh, Paul Allen and Richard Branson uh, collaborated in 2004. There was a, a program called the Ansari X Prize, and it was initially backed by Paul Allen, and they built what was known as Spaceship One, which became the, you know, first privately built, privately backed um, vehicle to uh, cross the barrier and to go into space. And uh, Richard Branson ultimately, uh, uh, you know, leased the rights or bought the rights to that technology, which is now he's grown into his Spaceship Two program. Um, But I think tension and rivalry is really important um, and that they need to push each other. Uh, that's really what got us to the moon in the Apollo era was the Cold War space race between us and the Soviet Union. Uh, You know, when they put Sputnik into space, that orbiting satellite going around the Earth, that really, um, you know, was a wake-up call for the United States government that the Soviet Union had really surpassed uh, our capabilities and that led to the creation of NASA and also uh, ultimately of, of what is now DARPA. Uh, you know, the Pentagon's research arm. Um, It was that uh, space race that got us to the moon. Uh, Since then, you know, we've gone to the International Space Station, uh, which is, you know, an amazing uh, orbiting laboratory. Uh, A lot of people call it the most incredible engineered object, you know, in the history of humanity. But it's 250 miles up, whereas the moon is 250,000 miles away. And I think what these entrepreneurs are doing by competing with each other, they're really uh, trying to create another space race. And Elon, you know, who'd been very vocal about this, uh, you know, just earlier this year said he wants a new space race. And when I talked to him for my book and I asked him about the competition and the tension with Jeff Bezos and others and, and, you know, he's taken on sort of the, uh, you know, taken on the government and some of the bigger traditional companies that have dominated the space for a long time, you know, he said he relished competition and told me if I had a button that I could press that would make, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos and Blue Origin go away, I would not press that button because I think they know that it's really important to compete with each other. Um, You know, as I I have a sentence in the book that, you know, rivalry is the best rocket fuel. Yes,
0: Yes, that is a powerful sentence, statement, I think that just really captures the essence, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the other thing about it is that, you know, as I was saying earlier, we, you know, Americans have this sort of fickle relationship with space. I mean, it's argu- arguably that, you know, going to the moon was one of humanity's greatest achievements. And yet, once we had done it, we sort of lost interest in it. Um, in fact, uh, Richard Nixon had started cutting NASA's budget even before the Apollo uh, 11 uh, lunar landing in 1969 when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were walking on the moon. And, uh, you know, by the time, uh, you know, we had done it, you know, we sort of repeated it. It's like we had been there and we had done that. And it was just, we lost interest in it. Just as we kind of lost interest in the space shuttle and uh, maybe even the International Space Station to a degree. And here are these entrepreneurs not just wanting to open up these frontiers and these boundaries and open up these economies, but also I think one of their goals is to really reignite interest in space. Uh, And you really see Elon doing this. I mean, he's, you know, a marketing genius and a lot of people criticize him as being, you know, maybe... uh, you know, putting on stunts. Uh, But we saw, you know, just earlier this year with his launch of the Falcon Heavy, it became sort of a cultural phenomenon. And he launched this Tesla uh, Roadster into orbit with a mannequin inside and it was a convertible. And there are these pictures beaming back to Earth of this ruby red Tesla flying through the darkness of space with, uh, you know, the Earth, that uh, pale blue dot in the background. And, you know, I think Before the launch, a lot of people were critical of it. I mean, I certainly raised questions in my coverage about, was this a responsible use of space? You know, shouldn't he try to put something more scientific on the rocket for a test payload? Couldn't there be a student project uh, that can encourage them? You know, but ultimately, none of that would have gotten the attention and drawn the interest that his Tesla did. And, you know, uh, some people have said that that was, you know, kind of like an Apollo moment for the millennial generation. Um, And I think that once, if, well, maybe not once, but if they're able to get human beings into space, you know, these space tourists who go up, and if at first it's, you know, very wealthy people, but then the price comes down, you know, and say, you know, 10, 20 years from now, more and more people are doing it, and then you know somebody, or you'll know somebody who knows somebody who's been to space and has had that experience and can talk about it and what it was like, you know, that could be a a transformative um, experience.
0: And it seems then with all of what you have shared with us and all of what we can really learn much more about in the Space Barons, it really underscores why this more private venture is a a better path to go than perhaps from the government level.
1: Well, I think ultimately what a lot of these companies want to do is, is in fact, to stand alone and to have a self-sustaining economy in space where they can exist independent of the government. Right now, that's not really possible. Um, Jeff Bezos of Blue Origin, that's sort of a separate case where, you know, they've been funded almost entirely by Jeff, but, you know, he's got uh, $110 billion or or whatever it is. Um, But ultimately, they're looking, even Blue Origin – is looking like SpaceX and like many of these other companies to partner with the federal government, with NASA, and, and you know to have customers <clears throat> and to have public-private partnerships. So what helps SpaceX exist? And we should remember that really SpaceX would not exist without the help of NASA, not just with its expertise, but its massive investment into SpaceX, um, not just hundreds of millions of dollars, but really billions of dollars uh, for contracts to fly cargo, and then eventually crew to the International Space Station. Um, And now that they've uh, done that successfully, flying cargo to the International Space Station, what SpaceX has proposed is a public-private partnership to go into deep space, go to the moon, and Blue Origin has also pitched NASA on a plan uh, to build a lunar lander for NASA uh, that would be called Blue Moon that, you know, could take cargo to the surface of, uh, of the moon. And the Trump administration, seeing this industry rise and have success, wanted to build on, uh, you know, what the Obama administration had done and what the Bush administration had done and starting to rely on the private sector to do these sorts of ventures. So um, I think ultimately the, the way forward that a lot of people are looking at it is a, is a public-private partnership. I mean, NASA gets a lot of flack but, you know, let's face it, some of the things that NASA's done, uh, you know, over the last 50 years have been just extraordinary. Um, you know, there are, there are landers on uh, Mars uh, right now and orbiters around Mars. Um, it's been, uh, you know, it's been extraordinary. I mean, the Internet, there are right now people in space at this very moment uh, orbiting the Earth at 17,500 miles an hour. Um, but... Uh, they also haven't really been able to maintain or hold the public's attention in a way that these entrepreneurs are. Um, so I think ultimately what both sides are looking for is a little bit more of a partnership.
0: Yes, That's what it sounds like is happening. Uh, It's so fascinating. Christian Davenport, you are a storyteller, no doubt about that. And I think we all owe it to ourselves uh, to own a copy of The Space Barons. And uh, we can get that at any of our favorite book sources at this point. Uh, But bring that along if you do. Or you can purchase a copy right at the event happening Wednesday, April 25th at the Museum of Flight right here in Seattle, right, Christian?
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It uh, should be a lot of fun.
0: I I agree. Uh, you've already, I think, whetted our appetite and our interest with this uh, time that we've had. I do thank you for your brilliant work, truly. It's just fascinating. It uh, almost reads like fiction, but it's it's real-life stuff.
1: It's real life (laughs) stuff. That's right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Uh, And I thank you.